Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church Texas. All right, I'm so excited to share this message with you. This series, Scarlet Letters, has been very important to me in, in my life, and I'm just so pumped to share this next portion of it with you. Today, we're going to talk about how to defeat the devil in your personal life. We do have a real enemy, and he is intent on stealing, killing, and destroying our lives, and he has an assignment that he has placed and uh, scheduled against each and every single one of us, but we don't have to be afraid because there's more with us than there are with him. If God is for us, who can be against us? So we got great news, and I'm going to walk you through a specific strategy that's in the scriptures that's going to help each and every one of you learn how you can be more effective at defeating the enemy in your personal life today. I want to take just a second before I jump into that, and I want to make sure that you understand and are aware of the 31st of May is our first time that we're going to be able to join back together and worship in person again. We have found a short-term location at the Sheridan Hotel in McKinney, Texas. Uh, If you are on our email list or our text list, if you've clicked on the connect button on our website, we have your contact information. We'll make sure you get all of the information, but starting on the 31st, that's Pentecost Sunday. Sunday, a really, really big deal. One of the biggest holidays in Christendom uh, when God gave the Holy Spirit to mankind. Incredible day and such a perfect day for us to join together and worship together. We're going to start with just one service at 1030 in the morning, so it'll be a little bit later. We're still going to do this really high quality produced service for you um, so that you can enjoy those of you that are going to continue to worship at home, those of you that maybe are in a more of an at-risk demographic or you've got some Uh, health conditions that you need to be a little safer with, totally fine. We want you to be safe, and we're going to make sure that you don't lose any quality. We're going to continue to produce this great service just for you at home, our online service, and that will roll out as well. But for those of you that are ready, and I know there are so many of you that are excited, you're going to be able to worship with us on the 31st in person live. It's going to be an incredible celebration. We've got lots of fun stuff planned for you, and we cannot wait to see you and be with you in person. So keep your eyes open for an email and a video that I've produced to help you understand all of the different uh, things and precautions and all of that that we're doing to make sure that everyone has a safe and a great experience. And uh, we're just going to have an incredible time worshiping the Lord. So, but as we jump into this message on how to defeat the devil, and again, tying into these scarlet letters, we've talked about how the enemy wants to label you. He wants to put that scarlet letter on you, the letter of your sin, the letter of a lower identity, uh, maybe something that's connected to the color of your skin or your gender or your past or, or how you grew up or how you didn't grow up. He wants to label you and convince you that you have an identity that is lower than your true identity. And the real red letters, the scarlet letters in the Bible, Jesus words are the most powerful words for helping you to understand who you truly are. Paul, the apostle said that I have already died and now I live for Christ, right? The the old me is gone and dead and for me to live is Christ. And so it's important for us to understand that Jesus Christ is our full identity. The greatest part of who you are is who God is in you. 
I want to take a second and I want to talk to our kids, all our kids that are in the audience. I know we have so many uh, families that are sitting and watching together. Thank you, kids. Make sure you poke your folks from time to time. Make sure they're not snoozing. If they need a little refill on their coffee, wake them up a little bit. But I want to talk to you about being a kid uh, in the phase of being a kid where you go through the place where you say, I can do it myself. I remember a time when I was maybe, I don't know, three or four, and I decided that I could do it myself, and the topic at that moment was getting dressed. I didn't want someone to help me get dressed. I wanted to dress myself. I had these my favorite pair of shorts that I would wear. They were my little blue shorts. That was what my mom called them or what I supposedly called them. But I always wanted to get dressed and I wanted to wear those favorite shorts and I wanted to dress myself. And so my mom said, okay, fine. Joel, you think you can do it yourself? Let's see how it goes. Well, I came out and I managed to get the shorts on, but they were backwards and my socks didn't match. My shoes were on the wrong feet. My shirt was backwards. It was just an absolute disaster. And so many times as human beings, Beings, that doesn't just happen in our childhood years. We go through phases of development, but all of us as human beings can come into a place where we have an attitude like that, whether we're five or, or whether we're 55, and we say, you know what? I got this. I can handle this. I'm going to do this myself. It's part of human nature for us to be stubborn. It's part of human nature for us to be selfish, for us to rebel, for us to have our own for our own interests first in our lives. That's part of the sin nature, the fleshly nature of all human beings. And we are called by Jesus Christ to crucify our sinful nature and to accept God's nature in us and live our lives at a higher level than we could if we were doing it ourselves. I want to walk you through a couple of stories in the Bible today, and I want to take just a second to make one point before I do that, and that point is simply this, that the devil is, is, is not necessarily the one who causes us to sin. See, it's easy for us to blame things on other people. Whenever we mess up, we want to push the blame off somewhere else. Well, it, it wasn't really me the devil made me do it, right? We've probably heard someone say that. And the devil actually doesn't have the ability to make you do anything. In fact, God created you as a human being to be an individual that has the ability to choose for yourself. You have what's called a free will and you can choose for yourself what you're going to do. But what the devil does is he tempts us. He starts with doubt. The devil always starts with doubt. That is his MO. That's what he does in every situation. He tries to twist God's word and cause us to doubt. And doubting is how we actually please the devil. If he can get us to doubt God and get an agreement with him, then he will be very pleased with our behavior and who we become in our lives. The Bible says that that without faith, it's impossible to please God. So we, if we want to please God, we have to stay in faith and we have to live a life of obedience to God in faith. And that's how we please him. So the enemy, because he hates God so much, is constantly sowing seeds of doubt into your life, planting thoughts in your head, bringing and organizing opportunities for you to get distracted because he doesn't want you to live a life of faith and obedience that pleases God. We have a real enemy. 
The Bible says we are at war. The Bible says that there's violence that comes against the people of God and the kingdom of God. But then it turns around and says, but the violent will take the kingdom by force. We have to recognize that we really are in a battle against evil in our world. But we have to be people that will arise, that will shine. We recognize our light has come and we're not afraid to go toe-to-toe with the enemy. We're going to win. Today, we're going to walk through what the enemy's actual scheme is and how he does his best to trick us up. And I want to take you back to one of the very first stories in the Bible. It's a story that has been called the original sin. And in this story, this is one of the first moments in human history where Adam and Eve have now begun to develop their relationship. They're they're having a relationship with God. God comes and walks with them each day during the cool part of the day. And they have this amazing relationship. They're naming the animals. They're enjoying each other and they're enjoying creation. And apparently there was some miscommunication between Adam and Eve. I know that comes as a shock because most husbands and wives have perfect communication at all times, right? Of course, your parents never have miscommunication. They're always fully understanding each other at all times. Not true. Miscommunication is very common. It happens all of the time. And the enemy loves to get in between where there's miscommunication or bad communication and cause confusion and division. And that's exactly what he does here. He shows up in the stories in Genesis chapter 3, and he shows up in the form of a serpent. And it says that he was, the serpent was more cunning, or more crafty, more, more wise, more scheming than any of the other animals. And he slithers up. Actually, initially, you may not know this, but snakes used to have legs. In fact, if you go and dissect certain types of snakes now, They have little bitty legs on the inside of their body. They used to have legs. And the story that I'm going to tell you about today and how the story ended is why God made their legs go back into their body and now they have to crawl on their belly all the time because of their disobedience to the creator. So he comes up and he begins the conversation with Eve. Now, I would have been a little distracted if all of a sudden an animal began to speak to me, but who knows? Maybe the animals uh, had an ability. We don't understand that, but for some reason, Eve wasn't shocked that a snake was talking to her. So that's that's a mystery in itself. I don't have an answer there, okay? But this is an interesting story. So the snake begins to talk to her and he opens with this statement. He says... Did God really say that if you eat this fruit from this tree, you're going to die? He asks Eve. And Eve tries to answer the serpent, but she says, oh, yes. He said that we're not allowed to eat it, and we can't even touch it. And if we touch it, we'll die. Well, guess what? God never said you couldn't touch it. He just said, don't eat it. And he said that if you eat of this this fruit, then you will die. Now, God didn't say you would die instantly, but it would bring death upon the human race. It would allow sin to enter in. So as soon as she misquoted and misunderstood God's word, the enemy knew that he had her right where he wanted her. He said, you're not really going to die. God's just holding out on you. God doesn't want you to know what he knows. And if you eat this fruit, you can be like God. And so it says that Eve looked at the fruit, she checked it out, it was pleasing to the eye, it tasted good for food, and, and, and she found that when she would eat it, it gave her wisdom and knowledge, 
And so she actually decided to eat the fruit. And that's when sin entered in to mankind. That's when this entire thing, that's the original sin. It's Satan's motive. What he always does, he starts with doubt. And if he can get you to doubt God, to not walk in faith, to mistrust God's words, and to align with his thinking, and instead of living to please God, living to please yourself, then he can have you. Story after story, the enemy always comes in the exact same way. In fact, there are three different places, or there's a place in the Bible where it talks about specifically Three different types of sin. Every single sin that there is, is classified into three main parts. And I want to take a moment before I jump into that, and I want you to understand what this was really all about. See, the tree that was in the center of the garden that God was holding for himself, it was the tree that represented the first fruit. It was potentially maybe the first tree that he created. Now, there was a tree right next to it called the tree of life. And if they ate the fruit from the tree of life, they would have lived forever. It was an eternal tree, the tree of life. But the tree right next to it, God said, that one's mine. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God was trying to keep humans in a place of beautiful innocence where they didn't have to understand the depths and the depravity and the disgustingness of evil. He wanted them to stay in that beautiful place of paradise and live all of eternity in that place. But the trick was this. Satan was actually tricking Eve into his own sin. See, the Bible talks about in Isaiah 14 that Satan himself sinned. So Satan's sin is actually the original sin. The original sin that Satan sinned, he said, I will exalt my throne above the heavens. I will make myself like the most high God. Satan's sin was that he wanted to be equal to or greater than God. I don't need you in my life, God. I can be my own God. And without knowing it, that's what he tricked Eve into. Did God really say, you, don't, you can't really trust God. God's holding out on you. He doesn't want you to know what he knows. If you eat this fruit, you'll be like him. You can exalt yourself above him. You can give yourself a throne that's above God's throne. Satan tricked Eve. The original sin was the sin of elevating yourself above God. That's what Satan fell with. And his greatest mission is to get God's children to mistrust God and to choose to play God themselves in their own lives. See, it says specifically, and you're going to see this as a pattern in Scripture. You may find this in your own studies. You may find this pattern over and over and over again. But here are the three places or the three categories of sin. It's found in 1 John 2 verse 16. It says, for everything in the world... The lust, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Three categories of sin. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. When, when Eve fell, she literally looked at the fruit and she saw that it was good for food. That's the lust of the flesh. She desired to eat it. 
She also saw that it was pleasing to the eye. The lust of the eye is the second category. And finally, she saw that it was good for providing wisdom, which ties into the pride of life. Satan tricked Eve into all three of the categories of sin in one instant, in one motion. She fell into a moment where she fulfilled all three types of sin. And every type of sin that you could have falls into one of those categories specifically. And there are gajillions of ways that we can mess up. And let me just point out that the word sin means to miss the target. Here's what you're aiming at and you miss it. And guess what, guys? We all miss it. But as we've walked through in this past, in this, in this series, that in 1 John it says that, that, that John was writing and he was like, dearly beloved, I want that you don't sin. I, my desire is that you don't sin, but here's the good news. If you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. You have a lawyer, you have an attorney, you have someone that goes before you, stands before God on your behalf. That's Jesus. We have Jesus as our advocate. The desire and the design is that we learn to live a life that we no longer fall into sin. But guess what? If you miss the mark, if you miss that, that intended uh, goal of what you're trying to accomplish and you don't live up to the perfect standard that, that Jesus was for us, he is our advocate and he goes before us. And the beautiful thing is he's already paid the price for our mistakes. I wish I could tell you that you were never going to mess up again. I wish I could tell myself I was never going to mess up again. But the truth of the matter is in all of our futures, there are mistakes, there are misses, there are sins that we may not even intend, may not even know that we did. And Jesus paid the price for them all. And all we have to do is live a lifestyle of coming back to him, get up quick, dust yourself off, and come back into a place of faith and obedience because that's how you please God. Jesus has already taken care of. He's paid the price for your sin. And the, the greatest news of all is that he's actually already defeated the devil. I wanna take you into this next part of this uh, message. And I want to ask you this question. Have you been playing God in your own life? I know there are times in my life that I have. See, I, I went through some, some tough times. I went through some major hurts in my life. I had times in my childhood where I was taken advantage of by someone that was older than me and bigger than me and stronger than me. And, and I was abused uh, in, in ways that were not good and horrible. And it caused deep hurt in my life. And because of that, without me even knowing it, I, I had this anger and this rage and, and I had this, this desire to defend myself, to protect myself because something had happened to me and I made an inner vow, I won't ever let that happen to me again. And so as a young man, as a, as a boy and as a teenager, I developed this hatred for bullies and and, and I did something about it. I learned how to fight and how to protect myself. And I became very good at that because I didn't want anyone to ever be able to hurt me or take advantage of me again. In that way, I was becoming my own protector. 
In other times of my life, I realized that I began to fall into a place where I wanted God to come through, or I wanted God to give me something. I wanted God to help me to accomplish something in my life, and it wasn't happening on my timetable. And so I began to try to do things on my own. Here I was in my adult life saying the same thing a five-year-old would say, I can do it myself. And I remember a specific time where I was in prayer and, and, and I, I literally, in my head, in my heart, I had this attitude that I need this and I'm just going to make it happen. And I remember specifically my prayer time, the Lord chiding me and saying, so Joel, do you, do you want to be your provider in every area? Do you, do you want me just to relinquish this to you? And from now on for the rest of your life, you're your own source. You're your own provider. You're your own wisdom, you're your own protection. Do you really, is that really what you want? And I'm like, no, God, that's, that's not what I want. And I remember in that time and in that moment realizing I'm going to stop trying to do it myself. I'm going to stop trying to meet my own needs. And instead, I'm going to trust God. As a pastor and as a leader of a congregation of hundreds of people, this has been a trying time. This has been a, a scary time. How does this even work? How, how, do, how do we go back to having church again? But I've learned in my life that if I can just trust God and let God be God and not worry and stay in a place of faith and stay in a place of obedience, God has a way of working all things out. God wants to be first in your life. That's what the tree was about in the garden. It was about God being first. It was actually a picture. I mentioned earlier the first fruit. It was a picture of the tithe. That's why we believe as Christians, we believe in tithing. And we don't say, oh, that's something that was connected to the old Jewish law that now is no longer relevant. The picture of the tithe was from the very first story of creation. God said, this is the first fruit. Give me this first portion. It belongs to me. Make me first place in your life. And that's why we practice with our finances, giving God the first tenth of all of our income. It's not because he needs our money. It's because he wants to be first in our lives. And the enemy can play a trick on you with that. He can say, oh, they're just going to do this. And uh, do you really trust that that pastor is going to whatever? Or do you really think that God needs your money? Do you really? And he can sow these places, these seeds of doubt. He can do it in any area. It could be in your marriage. It could be in your finances. It could be in your work. The enemy constantly wants to sow seeds of doubt to get you to mistrust God and to grab a hold of the wheel and try to play God in your own lives. And if we can learn to trust him, to allow him to be first. God, I'm going to make you first in my relationships. You're my first relationship. And I'm going to spend time with you and make you first because I trust that you're going to help me with these other relationships. You're, the, you're, you're first in my business. I'm going to make my business not just about me making money. I'm going to make my business about pleasing you. You're going to be first in my business. You're first in my education. You're first in my finances. You're first in my hobbies. You're first in, in my sports. You're first, God. God wants first place in your life. And the enemy wants you to take the wheel. He wants you to be selfish. He wants you to mistrust God. And he'll do anything and everything he possibly can to draw you into that place. 
Why? Because he doesn't want you to live a life of blessing. He wants you to live a life of curse. See, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, it released a curse into the earth. The first curse went to the devil, went to the serpent. Now you're gonna crawl on your belly. You're no longer gonna have legs. You're gonna, you're gonna eat the dust of the ground. And one day, the seed of this woman will crush your head. One day, a child that would be supernaturally born from the lineage of this woman will crush your head once and for all. That was the promise of God to the devil. That's why the devil wants so badly to destroy our lives as God's children because he knew that through one of God's children that a supernatural child would be born that would be God in the flesh that would destroy him forever. The curse that came to man. The man used to be able to hang out and enjoy and have a beautiful existence and his work was full of joy and no struggle and no strife and no hardship. And the curse that came to man was the curse of the reluctant harvest that now through blood, sweat, and tears, you'll bring forth a harvest. It was a horrible curse. We could have it a lot easier right now if it wasn't for that. But the curse of the woman was, was another challenging curse as well. That number one, she would have pain, tremendous pain in giving childbirth. And that she would desire for her husband's position, but he would rule over her. And we've seen that through all different cultures that women have been mistreated and have been subjugated and have been pressed down, have been oppressed and have been ruled over. See, in that moment when the enemy was, was trying to trick Eve into taking God's position in her life, what he tricked her into was losing her own position. She was created to be an equal and on the equal level, not underneath, not being ruled over. That was never God's design or his desire. But through seeking to grasp the position of something that wasn't God's will, she lost the position that she had been created to walk in. But here's the good news. You don't have to live in the curse. Jesus Christ has actually reversed the curse. When Jesus came and defeated the enemy, and I'm gonna walk you through one more quick passage. When he defeated the enemy, he broke the curse. He redeemed the curse of the fall and he fulfilled the curse of the law. Jesus has reversed the curse. And now we can walk in an amazing existence where through God's favor and God's grace and God's mercy, we learn to, as men, we learn to walk in a beautiful harvest, in, in an effortless harvest. That's actually the, the original design and Jesus reversed the curse. Number two, women, Jesus has reversed the curse of being subjugated and being oppressed. Does that still happen in different places in the world? Yes, it still does, but Jesus has reversed that curse and now, according to scripture, you're equal. You're back on, pl on, on plane. You're back in the position. You don't have to strive. You don't have to fight. See, what happens when you strive and you fight for your position, you, you, you actually strive and you fight to be over. And it's not about being over. That was the curse, that you will desire your husband's position, but he'll rule over you. Now, through Jesus Christ, you can come back to a place of equality of peace, no more striving. You can come to a place 
where you live in blessing, all of us, because Jesus has paid the price. See, there was a time where scripture says that Jesus was tempted in every single way. And there's actually a story where right after Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, the story is found in Luke chapter four. And he goes out into the wilderness. He's led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days. And the, and the enemy, Satan, actually came and tempted him personally, tormented him personally. And he asked him three specific questions. He, he said, hey, if you are the son of God, watch, do you see the doubt there? If you truly are the son of God, what's the last thing that God had said to Jesus right before he went into the wilderness? God spoke from heaven an audible voice and said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And what did Satan come with? Doubt. He always starts with doubt. If you are the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. Jesus counters. He counters with God's word. He says, the Bible says that man shall not live by bread alone. Then Satan takes him up to a high place and, 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 said, and shows him all of the kingdoms of the world and said that if you'll worship me, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you everything your eye can see anything and everything your eye could desire, I'll give you that. Jesus didn't buy that either. He came back uh, with a word there as well. And he says, it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Satan tried one more time. He took him up onto a high temple. He says, if you're the son of God, cast yourself down. The angels will catch you. And Jesus responded a third time with the word of God. I'm not going to play God in my life. He said, I will not put God to the test. And then Satan departed from him. And he waited for a more opportune time to come back. Now watch this. The bread represented the lust of the flesh, the desire to, to devour, the desire to fulfill your own physical body's needs. The, the, the kingdoms of the world represent the second category of sin. The, the, the lust of your eyes, anything you could possess, any power that you could possibly possess. And the third, throw yourself down, play God in your life, represents the pride of life. I will make myself like the most high God. I'll play God in my life and I'll exalt myself. Jesus, in one moment, reversed the curse and won the victory for us, defeated the devil in all three categories of sin, where Eve fell in all three ways, Adam and Eve, Jesus redeemed it in all three ways. And he's bought us back into a place and a position where we can live powerfully for him. I'm gonna give you one last verse today. And this verse contains three simple steps that if you can grab and grasp the revelation of these three things, you can overcome and defeat the devil in your life. The beautiful thing about this verse, it's found in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, talks about how the accuser of the brethren has been cast down. Satan is that accuser, and he has been cast down. He has already been defeated by the enemy, and now we have the opportunity to walk in that victory. And this passage says in, in verse 11, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their own life, 
even unto the death. What does that mean? Three powerful ways that you can defeat the devil in all three components of sin. The blood of the lamb, what does that represent? It represents Jesus's sacrifice. That if we can put our confidence in the blood of the lamb, that through his shed blood, Jesus purchased everything that we would ever need. We don't have to try to fulfill our own needs, the lust of the flesh. We have been given the blood of Christ that covers us, washes away all of our sins, and purchased for us righteousness with God. You don't have to meet your own needs. He'll meet your needs. The second thing, they overcame him with the word of their testimony. God's word is powerful. It's true. Satan wants to take God's word and turn it against you, twist it and trick you. And if you don't know God's word, you'll be easy prey. You have to know and declare God's word. The word of your testimony. This is who I am. This is what God says about me. That's how Jesus defeated Satan. He flipped God's word on him. He had it memorized. He knew it in his heart. And he was able to combat the enemy's deception and doubt by knowing what God had declared over his life. The third thing, they love not their life unto death. You've got to learn how to love God more than life itself. Allow God to have that position. He's first in your life. Father, whatever you want me to do, whatever you want me to walk through, wherever you want me to go, you are God in my life. I'm not going to play God. I'm not going to fall into the pride of life and exalt myself. I'm going to submit myself to you and your will. I trust you. I have faith in you and I will obey you. I believe that today is a day that somebody watching Right now, this is a day for you to put your trust in God. The enemy has tried to fill you with doubt. He's tried to twist you. He's tried to make you angry at God. There have been things that, that were turnoffs for you, where you felt like God failed you. He let you down. He wasn't there for you. Can I tell you that I totally relate to that? And I've been through that. And what I found was that, was that God actually didn't leave me. He didn't forsake me. He stayed with me through the storm and he brought me through and he taught me how to trust him again. And I have this strong feeling that there's someone right now that if you will just release the anger, the resentment that you have toward God, that anger has been holding you in a prison. It's been holding you in a place that Satan has been able to keep you with your hands on the wheel, trying to play God yourself, maybe trying to play God in your marriage, play God with your children, play God with your finances. You've been trying to control, 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 control. And it's because of fear. It's because of anger. It's because of doubt. And the enemy has tricked you into living your life in doubt and in fear and in control mode. And it's destroying you. It's destroying you. And God is asking you, will you, will you, just, will you just release it to me today? Will you just give it to me today? God wants to set you free today in this moment if that's you and you've been living life trying to control trying to hold it together you're playing God I'm going to lead you in a prayer just to repent 
just, just to return to the right perspective and to give God his place in your life. Would you just pray with me wherever you are, all of you sitting in living rooms and offices and bedrooms and wherever you are, just pray this prayer with me. Say this, say, Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've been playing God, trying to control, meet my own needs, accomplish and acquire all of my desires. I'm done with that. And I give you control of my life. I release it today. Would you just release it? Just physically release your hands. I release it to you today. Just give it to him right where you are. I'm not going to play God anymore. I give myself to you. Say this. I believe in you, Jesus. I make you the Lord of my life today. I believe you came and you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And I believe you're coming back for me. And today I put my faith in you and I will live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we wanna invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.